Welcome to this week's virtual drasha. This week we have the incredible privilege to read Parsha's Tzav. And this Parsha, continuing in the tradition of Sefer Bayikra, really delves into the intricate details of Karbanas of sacrificial law. I want to share with you an incredible insight. The Torah says as follows. This is in Parag Zayin Pasuk Yotas, chapter 7, verse 19. V'habasar asher yiga b'chaltame, lo ye'achel ba'ishi saref. V'habasar kaltar yochal basar. Okay, let's focus on the first part of the verse. A seemingly simple verse. Basar, referring to over here, sacrificial meat. Let's say you have, remember again, a person offers up a covenant, a person offers up a particular sacrifice. Different sacrifices are dealt with in different ways. There are certain karbanos, for example, like an ola, which is totally consumed on the mizbeach. And then there are other karbanos like a shlamin. And the shlamim, again, part of it is burnt on the mizbeach, part of it is given to the owner, and part of it is given to the kohanim. So imagine for a moment, you offered up a shlamim, and you have some sacrificial meat. Well, you can't eat that meat the same way you would eat any ordinary meat, but rather the meat is itself has certain statutes or limitations which ultimately govern its consumption. So certain carbonos have to be consumed in a certain geographic location. Certainly one has to be in a state of ritual purity in order to be able to partake of carbonos. But here the Torah is telling something else. What happens if the sacrificial meat comes in contact with something that is tame, with something that is ritually impure? That's the case of the Torah. If you have a piece of sacrificial meat which comes in contact with something that is ritually impure, the sacrificial meat can no longer be consumed. But what do you do with sacrificial meat which can no longer be consumed? You can't throw it out in the garbage because it still has its own sanctity. You burn it in the fire. Okay. I know by now you're thinking, wow, incredibly riveting, uplifting, inspirational, fantastic. It's a detail. It's a sacrificial detail. And to be honest, when you hear about it, it's like very nice. But listen to this. The great Tzadik, Menachem Mendel of Kotzke, the Kotzke, the Heilige Kotzke, says something amazing. He says as follows. He says, I'm going to quote to you. He says, Kishetami no gebetar, betame satar. We know when something that is tame touches something that is tar, something that is impure, touches something that is pure, so ultimately, again, as we just saw in the Pasuk, so ultimately the pure item becomes impure. So something that is tame, ritually impure, touches something that is tahar, ritually pure, the tahar item becomes tame. Straightforward. The Kaskar says the following, listen to this. Velama, no tame, eno esa tame. So the Kaskar says, I don't understand. Why doesn't this concept work in both directions? If something that is tame, when it touches something that is tahar, makes the tahar, ritually pure item, tame, ritually impure, then why don't we say that when something tahar touches something tame, that the tame item becomes tahar? You hear this? Again, let's say it once more. If we accept the premise that something ritually impure, when it touches something that is pure, makes the pure item impure, then the reverse should be true as well. When something ritually pure touches something ritually impure, the impure item should become pure. Why? If the tame makes the tahar tame, then the tahar should make the tame tahar. It's a great question. Great question. And the Kutzker says something incredibly beautiful. Listen to what he writes. He says, Mishum sha tame vadai tame avalatar mi aravlano shotar. He says something amazing. Mikatska says, because impurity is a state which could be readily identified. But Tara, purity, who could know with absolute certainty that anything in this world is Tahar? 
Such a profound statement. Right? I know it's Tame. I know. I know it's Tame. So Tame item touches something that's Tar. I know definitively that an item of Tuma touched an item of Tara, and therefore the item of Tara is impacted. But a Tahar item touches a Tame item? Says the Katska, how do you know in this world what's really Tar? A very, a very, a very Katska, like, how do, how do you know what's really Tahar? There are so many things in this world that look Tar, but they're not. And the Katska is teaching us such an incredibly profound idea. That sometimes one of the greatest challenges in life is knowing what is Tame and what is Tahar. And interestingly, what the Katska is really highlighting over here is that often it's easy to discern that which is Tame. It's much more difficult to discern that which is Tar. What is pure? And what is good? And what are the things that should be enjoying in life? And what are the things that should be inviting into my home? And what are the experiences and influences which will have a positive impact on me? What are the things that are really tired? In other words, if you ask most people, do I know what's tummy? Yeah, I know. I, I really, deep down, I really know what's tummy. The challenge is, what's tahar? Where could I find Tara? Where could I find spiritual beauty? Where could I find spiritual purity in life? What, what is Tahar? And sometimes the Katska says, the things you think are Tahar, or the things society may say are Tahar. They're not. They're not. So something Tame can make something Tahar. I'm sorry. So something Tame, which touches something Tahar, makes the item Tame. Why? Because we know what Tame is. But something Tahar touches something Tame. Can't change the state. Why? Because who knows in this world what is really tar? It's so elusive. Katska sensitizing us to really making sure that we look at life closely and that we live life with both hands on the wheel and that we live with a constant sense of attentiveness to are we really, are we really absorbing and enmeshing ourselves in tara, in that which is pure in life, or sometimes do the things that we attach ourselves to, they look tar, but at the end of the day, they're not really good. But I think we could add one more piece to this Kutzker, because the Kutzker's kasha, like the Kutzker's question is, is a good one. If again, if Tame touches Tar makes it Tame, then why don't we say that Tar touches Tame makes it Tar? And perhaps also another answer to this idea is Tara cannot just be affected through contact. Tara purity requires effort, requires work. You see, Tuma, here's the incredible part. Think about this in a sense of life, right? A person could be Tame, a person could become Tame through absolute passivity, right? If you think about this even like on a halachic, on a halachic level, right? If I go ahead and I'm minding my own business and someone takes a sheretz, right? A dead rodent, puts it in my hand. I know that's not a little bit of a graphic example. Or, God forbid, I'm somewhere and I'm under the same roof with someone and the person right next to me passes away. So I'm under the same roof, a same roof with a corpse. Tumas Ohel. You could become Tame passively. Tuma is a state of being which could be visited upon you. And that's why again, right? And that's why again, if you take a piece of tame meat or you take a tame item and you just put it next to the sacrificially pure, right? The, the tahar item, the tar item becomes tame through simple contact because tuma, tuma, negativity could be visited upon a person even passively. You don't have to do anything. It could just happen to you. But tara is different. Tara, purity in life, requires activity. Even if you think about it for just a moment, you could contract Tumah, ritual impurity, passively, doing nothing. Tara, what do you need for Tara? So almost every single form of Tara, every form of Tara, requires a mikvah. What does a mikvah require? A body of water? You have to go into the water. 
You have to go ahead and bend down, Lord. You have to submerse yourself in the water. Tara requires activity. Tara requires dynamic action. Tuma could occur passively. You do nothing at all in life and you could become Tame. But Tara, Tara requires dynamic action. I think that's another reason. This is why also the aloha is, the Kuska's question, right? This is why something that's Tame touches something that's Tar, it makes the Tar item Tame. Why? Because Tuma could be contracted passively both in the laws, in the ritual laws of Karbanos and in life. Sometimes you do nothing. You just allow yourself to be in the wrong places, with the wrong exposures, with the wrong people. And suddenly, I'm Tame. But Tara, simply going ahead and taking something Tar and putting it next to something Tame does not make the Tame item Tar. Why? Because Tara, because purity, holiness, spiritual elevation requires activity. There's no Tara through passivity. There's no Tara through being a spectator. Tara requires decisive, dynamic life activity. Do something. Do something. Go to the mikvah, so to speak. Right? Be mitahar yourself. Dynamic activity creates Tara. And you can even see this, right? Think about this for just a moment. This Shabbos, in addition to having the great schos of reading Parshas Tzav, it's also Shabbos Agadol. And why is it called Shabbos Agadol? Because thousands of years ago, thousands of years ago, the Jews went ahead and took the Paschal Lamb on this Shabbos HaGadol. They took the Paschal Lamb, they tied it right, they brought it in their house. And remember, this was a big thing because the Lamb was the deity of Egypt. So essentially, the Jews were asserting theological superiority over the Egyptians by taking the very God of Egypt and using it now in the service of their God. Incredible, overwhelming. But why is it Shabbos HaGadol? And the Sfarim bring down Shabbos HaGadol. It's not the great Shabbos. It's the Shabbos of the great people. Because it was on this Shabbos thousands of years ago we became great. Why did we become great? Because we stopped just being simple spectators. And we actually engaged in dynamic activity. You see, up until this point in time, everything about the Exodus narrative, everything about Yitzhak, everything about the story of Egypt, was all passive. It was all passive. Moshe Rabbeinu was doing his thing. HaKadosh Baruch was bringing the Makos. And what were we doing? We were sitting on the side eating popcorn, right? We were sitting on the side watching. Oh, that's cool. That's incredible. Look at that plague. Look at this. Look at the hell. Da, 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 da. We're spectators. We're spectators. We're doing nothing. That Shabbos, Shabbos Hagodol, the Shabbos when we became great, what makes greatness? The recipe for greatness is the same recipe for Tara. Dynamic life activity. Stop being a spectator and start doing something to advance your life agenda. Stop looking and start doing. Stop being passive and start being active. That's Shabbos Hagadol, the Shabbos of the Great One. Who's the Great One? It's me and you. It's our ancestors. When they decided to engage in dynamic activity, take the sheep and do something as part of their salvational process. Shabbos Hagadol. It's Parashas Tzav. It's the laws of Tumantara. You can become Tame through passivity, but the only way to become Tar is through dynamic activity. So we should be Zochem Yer Tzashem. That on this Shabbos HaGadol, this Shabbos Parashas Tzav, this Shabbos when thousands of years ago, our ancestors found the courage to stop being spectators and to start being doers. When our ancestors found the courage to finally actualize this dynamic principle of Judaism, which is... Tara, spiritual growth, spiritual accomplishment, never comes through passivity. It only comes through activity. They discovered this lesson on Shabbos, on this Shabbos, Shabbos Agadol. And may we be Zohar Hashem to do the same. Wishing everyone a good night of Shabbos, a beautiful Shabbos Kodesh, and an 
uplifting, transformational Shabbos HaGadol.